Hey, everybody. Hey, uh, Roy Jr. kids, y'all can go to Roy Jr. <laughs> See ya. Hey, let's turn in the Bible to uh, Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. I love the story of Jonah. It's so fascinating. It, uh, a scene popped into my mind. Uh, I don't know if y'all have ever seen The Count of Monte Cristo, that movie. It's a really good movie. Uh, some people have read the book, but it's this long. Uh, so in that movie, there's a scene. So the main character, no spoiler alert, but he goes to jail on this island jail. And basically, he comes up with this great plan and escapes from this island jail. So he's in the water at this, uh, you know, he's been in jail for years and years. And he swim and swim and swim towards freedom, basically, kind of passes out. And when he comes to, he's on a beach, not, not where the island uh, jail is, but he's on this beach. And he kind of comes to, and it's a scene, you can see his hands, and he like scoops up the sand in his hands. And he's wearing, he's got this raggedy beard. He's wearing all these raggedy clothes. And he realizes that he's free. And he's just like, woohoo! He's just like jumping and dancing and running down the beach, just acting the fool and wow, woo! And then he kind of stops and looks up because there's this whole big crowd of like pirates up on the beach. And like, that's the scene that I imagined when I'm studying through Jonah, because if you go through, like we ended on my favorite verse in the book of Jonah, which if you go to um, chapter two, we talked about this last week where Jonah's inside the fish and he has this weird prayer inside the fish. And then it ends with, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. And I just wish there was a, a movie made, you know, like I, I, I wish you could go to that scene because I'm just picturing the same thing, like some beach, we don't know if there's people there or not. And all of a sudden they see this big swell out of the water and this fish beaches itself, which everybody's got to be like, oh my gosh, come on, let's look. And then it starts doing that. And they're like, no, no, don't, don't go too close. And just and spits out a grown man who starts you know, getting all the goo, you know, off of them or whatever, and then probably just starts, and like just going crazy. And all these families have got to be like, oh my gosh, and word's got to spread. So that's where we left it last week with Jonah being vomited out. So let's, we're going to pick it up in chapter three. In case you, wanna, you weren't here, I want to do a quick recap of where we're at. I know everybody's familiar with the story of Jonah, even if you've not been here the last couple of weeks. But in my mind, it's easy to go to the kid version of Jonah and not the, the real scriptural version of Jonah. So just as a recap, you remember who this guy was? He was a prophet before this book even happened. He's a prophet during the reign of a king called Jeroboam II. And before this book happened, he goes to Jeroboam, this king, and he gives him a message, which was, King, your kingdom, which is the north, which is Israel, your kingdom's gonna flourish. It's gonna do great. Your borders are gonna be enlarged, which is just a crazy message because King Jeroboam is wicked. And all the people of Israel at this time are really wicked. And so, <laughs> In our story, if you go to this story, Jonah then, after that message, he's called to go to Nineveh, which is the capital city for the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were this brutal, brutal, bloodthirsty people, and they're threatening Israel. They're going to conquer them in a few years, in like 30 years. And Jonah gets this message, go preach to those guys, to the enemies. And he doesn't want to do it. Not because he's scared. He's upset 
You know, he, he knows God is gonna have mercy on those guys and I do not want those guys to have mercy. They're, they're wicked. And uh, ironically, that's why God wanted to save them because they're wicked. But even more irony is Jonah's cool with God showing mercy to his wicked people, but he's not cool with God showing mercy to those wicked people. He thinks God's in the wrong. It, God shouldn't be showing them grace, and so he runs. And y'all remember we looked at a map. He runs as far as you possibly could, or he tries to run as far as he possibly could away from Nineveh. He goes in the exact opposite direction. Now, he knows he can't escape God, but he's trying to escape this job. You know what I mean? And so he's, somebody else will do it. But God in his grace doesn't just let Jonah go. He pursues him with a storm. Y'all remember this? And the storm rolls up, and... Uh, basically God gives Jonah this gracious opportunity to repent. The sailors start preaching to Jonah, you should call out to your God, but Jonah says, basically, I'd rather commit suicide than go preach that message, throw me in the ocean. So they throw him in the ocean and he sinks. But God doesn't let Jonah die, he pursues him again. There's so much grace, he just keeps running after Jonah every step and just, whoosh, he gets swallowed up by a fish. God's grace is the fish. So then last week we saw Jonah's in the fish. You know, he's probably in and out of consciousness. It's a miracle. There's no scientific explanation for how he stayed alive in the fish. It's a miracle. But we saw this kind of prayer that he prays inside the fish. And it's confusing because it, he kind of seems like he changes a little bit, but not all the way. It's not real repentance. Like he no longer wants to die instead of obey, but he, he, his heart hasn't changed to, I want these guys to repent. He's got some elements in his prayer, and we talked about last week, where it's elements from the Psalms, that he's pulling language from the Psalms, but he's basically putting down the Ninevites and the sailors, saying, those guys are, what does it say? They pay regard to vain idols. And then he thanks God for his salvation, saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. And it seems like he's saying, salvation belongs to me, and I'm thankful, but I still don't want those guys to be saved. What's going on, I think, and this kind of gives us a framework for, for working into this chapter. It seems like what Jonah's leaning on is God's mercy for God's people. That's it. God's mercy for God's people. He's got some good theology in the belly of the fish, and he's got some way off theology, and at least some unhealthy like nationalism. You see, he has no issue with God's mercy for wicked Israel. He has no issue for God's mercy for wicked Jonah himself, but he really has issue with God's mercy for wicked Nineveh. It's God's grace that he's not done with Jonah. Uh, one of our friends, Adam Vinson, he was here this past weekend at Snowbird, but when he preached on Jonah, he said this, it's clear that God is start, starting to stir something, something deep in Jonah, but it doesn't look like repentance fully yet, so God's not done with Jonah fully yet. So that's where we pick things up, that God's not done with Jonah, he's, he's pursuing him, and then he pukes out on this beach, that's where we arrive, right here. So now, where did Jonah get puked out of the fish? We don't know. He's in the Mediterranean, right? So it'd be cool if he got puked out in Joppa, right where he left out from, but that's like a 550-mile journey to Nineveh. It's a long way. Maybe he got puked up further north where I think it's like 160, 190 miles. Either way, it's still a long journey, but he gets puked up, and God says this to him. He's given kind of a restart. Uh, we're in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. 
So it's like a restart. God's given Jonah a second chance at the job that he should have done. And, and if you're not reading carefully, you'd skip to Jonah totally does it. You know, like my kid understanding of this book is way different than my adult understanding of this book. You, you know, because your kid understanding goes something like, God tells Jonah, go preach to the Assyrians. No, they're super scary. I'm going to run from God. He runs from God. God swallows him up in the fish, and Jonah totally comes to his senses in the fish, totally repents, runs back to Nineveh and says, you guys should repent, and they do, and everybody gets saved and is happily ever after. That was my kid understanding of the book, and it was still my favorite book, but it's way, way different. It seems like he has a little bit of a change of heart. He's no longer running. But it's not a full change of heart, and you can see that with the rest of the book. And you can even see it in a sermon that he's about to preach. All right? Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So again, we don't know if this is the 550-mile journey or if this is 190 miles. Either way, he had to cross what today would be the whole nation of Syria. Like, it's a long way for him to walk on foot. And so, when he gets to Nineveh, it is an enormous, enormous city. I mean, you can go back and research it, but there are libraries. I mean, it is, it's a, was a beautiful, enormous city. And it said it would take three days journey to basically see all the sites, not to walk straight across, but to see all the sites. And so, Obviously, he's not avoiding Nineveh because he's scared, but man, I bet he was scared when he got there. It's it's a crazy task because he's got to walk into this powerful enemy city. He's probably, since it's an Assyrian city, it's probably got piles of skulls at the gates. I mean, these guys are are brutal. And so he's going to walk into that city that has more than 120,000 people, and he's supposed to preach a message. Does he do it? Verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's journey. So he's a third of the way into the city. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The end. That's a a crazy sermon. You think about it. It's, you know, most of these like, like prophecy books, it's like this much narrative, this much story where it tells you, you know, Amos was a shepherd up in Tekoa or whatever. And then it's like, this huge prophetic message. Whereas this one is totally upside down. The whole thing's narrative and you have an eight word sermon. Eight words, that's it. It's only five words in Hebrew. And his whole sermon, it's crazy. He basically says, uh, hey everybody, y'all are all gonna die in 40 days. Let's pray. (laughs) Like, that's it. That's the end. It's a crazy sermon. Does he preach more than that? I don't know. Not more than that's recorded. God did tell him, hey, go and call out the message that I tell you to. Maybe there's more to the message, but I don't think there is. Look at what's not mentioned in his sermon. Repentance. Yahweh, the Lord, what they should do. Did Jonah leave that part out? I could be wrong, but I think he did. Maybe, maybe this is all that God wanted Jonah to preach. So, and if that's the case, then a larger point is made to Jonah and to us about repentance, like salvation really belongs to the Lord, and so he can connect all those dots between just judgments coming and we need to repent for sure. But either way, I think whoever wrote this book is letting us know there's not a lot of hope in Jonah's sermon at all. 
You know the sermon, gosh, you know the sermon that Jonah could have preached? I, he was just at the bottom of the ocean inside the belly of a fish. You think he is prepped to preach the most powerful sermon that's, talk about illustrations. You always search for illustrations when you're preaching, but like he's prepped to preach the sermon. He doesn't do it. I think, I think this, even the, the brevity of that sermon, I think that's more evidence that this isn't repentance. I think he's checking boxes. All right, God says, I got to go to Nineveh. I don't want to get punished again. I think it's half-hearted. I think it's half of a sermon. It's clear, at least, he doesn't want this sermon to work. Because what's crazy is Jonah receives grace on grace on grace. The storm, the fish, the second chance. He receives grace on grace on grace and turns around and preaches destruction, judgment, condemnation. It's, it's pretty wild. How does Nineveh respond to this eight-word sermon? Verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. They immediately, they hear this, hey, 40 days and y'all are going to die. I'm out. And they immediately, they hear this and they start repenting. That is wild considering the sermon. Because honestly, this guy shows up. He's a foreign guy. He's obviously traveled all over the place. Maybe he still smells like fish puke. He shows up, walks through your doors and says, hey, y'all gonna die. Y'all been approached by crazy people before. You know what I mean? You shrug them off or you just agree with them. You know, I had somebody, oh man. So I had somebody kind of recently that came and talked to me really passionately about the, uh, it was no one in our church, uh, really passionately about like radio waves that were getting in our head from whatever and whatever. And I was like, absolutely, man, absolutely. We got to do something about that. You know, I just kind of agreed with this person. They're, they're not from here. I just, I just agreed with this person because I was like, uh, I'm not going to even try to refute this. I'm just going to roll with, you know what I mean? Like you imagine if he rolls up and says, hey, 40 days and you guys are going to die, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's great, man. Or you expect them to kill him. You know what I mean? Or at least to like mock him. That's what the, uh, the Assyrians do later with Hezekiah. They mock the messenger and they mock Yahweh and they cite specific examples. But in a crazy twist, these guys who pay regard to vain idols, they just repent. Now, there's some people that say, and I, I don't, I don't know on this one, but there's some people that say that one motivating factor was, um, so Jonah was in the belly of a fish. All right, this, this is kind of, it's kind of weird. Jonah's in the belly of the fish. One of the gods that the Assyrians worshiped was Dagon, who's half man, half fish. And so what they say is that people must have seen him be spit out by this fish and, and thought, a messenger from a fish, we gotta listen to him. And immediately like, that, they would give this like a lot more weight than just a person who'd walk into the city. I don't know. You know, Jesus himself says that Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. But he also says that they repented at the preaching of Jonah. So it was the message, not necessarily the messenger that they were repenting. So was the fish thing a sign? I don't know. But ironically, these guys repent and the words that Jonah prayed in the belly of the fish came true. Salvation is from the Lord. And it's definitely from the Lord because nobody should have repented at that preaching. All right. So the people, all, uh, they all repent. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. 
And he, aro- he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. That's crazy. The king of this, this city-state here, like, the, and it says the word reached the king. He didn't even hear the micro-sermon. He just heard about it. And he responds in humility. He changes his robe to sackcloth. He changes his throne to ashes. And he humbles himself truly before the one true God. I think that these guys are really, truly repenting. Look at what he says next, the king does. It says, and he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. I read a commentary that said this, the king's words would have communicated, if we lose all of our business and we lose all of our food here, it doesn't matter because we're in trouble before God. Let's just put all that aside right now. Don't let anybody do anything but cry out to God and turn from the evil way of his hands. It's crazy. Don't eat, don't drink, cover everything with mourning clothes and call out mightily to God. And then he goes beyond just call out to God, maybe he'll save us. It's actual repentance where he says, turn away from evil, turn away from the violence that's in your hands. It's action, not just, he's not just covering his bases. It's not just like an insurance policy for the town, like, hey, a crazy guy says 40 days and we're going to be out. So let's just pray to God, cover that base. You know, we're just going to make sure we got everything covered. It seems like real repentance. And he goes on and here's the phrase. That's kind of the reason for these drastic measures. Verse nine, the king says, do all this and he says, who knows? God might turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Here's what stood out to me a bunch. Like the contrast between Jonah's sermon and the king's sermon is huge. Think about it. Now, maybe Jonah said more, uh, obviously, but it seems like the king preached the sermon that Jonah should have. The king's saying, put away your violence. Let's repent. God may turn. Yes, he said he's going to destroy this place in 40 days, but he, who knows, maybe he'd turn. You remember the sailors, they did Jonah's job. They preached, call out to your God, and maybe he'll stop this. Now the king's doing Jonah's job here. All Jonah brings to the party is destruction. Here's what stands out to me in this story. And, and just reading it through like overview, Every single thing in this story obeys God except Jonah. Everything. Look at the storm, the sailors, even the lots that were cast, the fish, the calm, the Ninevites, the king. Later on, we're going to see the plant and the worm and the wind. Everything down to the individual strands of seaweed that wrapped around Jonah's head, like every blade of grass in this story is submitting to God, except Jonah. It's a wild story because he's the prophet. But the beauty is that Jonah's running from God, but God is running after Jonah. It's a beautiful story because he just keeps pursuing Jonah. And it's crazy because all this huge you know, city, there's 120,000 people in the city and they all repent. It's one of the greatest revivals in history. Is Jonah happy about it? We'll see about that in the next chapter. The next chapter is gonna show how he really feels about these guys repenting. And so, but I wanna look at God's response. Look at, look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, 
God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to him, and he didn't do it. It's amazing. Uh, God responded to their obedience, which he caused. He caused their obedience, and then he responded to it. Now, we could totally preach a, a full sermon on how God's sovereignty and man's responsibility fit together and all that, but, but here we see they're obeying and God's responding. God's not changing his mind. God doesn't change. You know, he knew the outcome before the whole situation started. That's why he set this whole thing up. Here's what I want to do. It's a crazy story, and it's not over yet. It gets even crazier. But I just want to give a few thoughts, uh, and, and some of them are just about the story. Some of them are, are practical for us. What are we supposed to get out of this? I want to give a few thoughts. I've got, because I, I think the story of Jonah, it's fascinating on a number of levels. Obviously, the fish and all that craziness. I mean, it, it's fascinating on a number of levels. But really, there's about, there's not just one message in this book. You pull it out and look at it, and, and you start to turn this thing around and look at it, and there's about four or five different audiences that it's written to. You can start to see different layers of messages that are laid in this book, which is pretty wild. It's not just a kid's book. It is very complex, very layered. So I want to look at the basically four main messages that I think we can pull out and look at in the book of Jonah. The first one is that this book contains a message to Nineveh. That one's simple. We've already looked at that. It's repentance. Repentance to Nineveh, right? So that message is pretty straightforward, and we can get that. But when we start to go a little deeper, we start to see this book contains a message to Israel, right? The north, the, in the divided kingdom, you got the north and the south. Remember, Jonah's a prophet to the north. So this book is still to the north. This is the layer I never got before this week, but it, it really blew my mind because this is a prophetic book to Jeroboam and to those guys. And so what we should think about is where they're at in this point of history. Israel has not changed their hearts, but God has been gracious to them by enlarging their borders like we talked about at the beginning. You know what I'm saying? Israel's not earned it. They've not changed their hearts, but God's been gracious to them. See, Israel's been sinful, not repented, but God is still not done with them. Do you see the parallels? What I'm saying is Jonah's life is the message to these guys. Th this book's for them. Jonah's still the prophet to Israel. It's just that he is the object lesson. What, what I'm saying is Jonah is sinful. Jonah's acting nationalistic. Jonah's thinking I'm good because of my heritage. It's exactly what Israel was doing. Israel's sinful. They're acting nationalistic. They're thinking we're good because of our heritage. And just like God is not done pursuing Jonah, he's not done pursuing Israel. In fact, one of the ways he's pursuing Israel is by writing this book so they can see themselves in Jonah, in this story. Oh, we've not repented, and he's still following after us. Now, there's a lot of other messages for God's people like God's mercy are for all people. But I think the wording so specific in this book that the message to Israel to repent is so clear. All right, pause. Uh, rewind in your mind, back to the golden calf and Moses. You remember that? That was a way different time period, all right? But you remember you got Moses, he goes up on the mountain, and he does, 
gets the tablets or whatever and the people down low, they're, they're making a golden calf, they're worshiping or whatever. You remember that story? And then basically uh, after that, he comes back down, God's angry and Moses intercedes for the people and God has mercy. Well, he says this specific phrase in Exodus 32, it'll be on the board. It says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. That's the exact same Hebrew wording as Jonah 3.10. Same uh, main words here where he says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them and he didn't do it. What the Hebrew reader should read and remember is, oh, that's like God had mercy on us when we didn't deserve it. So he had mercy on Nineveh when they didn't deserve it. He had mercy on Jonah when he didn't deserve it. Sailors repented, Nineveh repented. We need to repent. I think the second layer as we pull this apart, it's not just a a message to Nineveh, it's a message to Israel, the northern kingdom. Third message. I think this book, third layer, I think it contains a message to the Pharisees, talking New Testament, to believers in Jesus' time and beyond. Why do I think that? It's because y'all know Jesus told us that. We'll have it up on the board, Matthew 12. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered Jesus saying, y'all good? We're swapping time periods a lot here in these. Everybody good? All right, Pharisees and Jesus. We fast forwarded way to the future. The Pharisees answered Jesus saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah's here. I think the book of Jonah is not just a message to the Ninevites, it's not just a message to the Old Testament Israel northern kingdom I think it's a message to New Testament folks as well specifically here to the Pharisees but for all of us because they're saying hey Jesus show us a miracle we'll believe you if you if you show us a miracle and he says how about the miracle that I performed in keeping Jonah alive to preach he did and the Ninevites responded he says the sign of Jonah what's the sign of Jonah what miracle did Jonah show he showed himself Alive after three days, people saw him vomited up and they spread the word. What he's saying here is, what miracle is Jesus going to show himself? Alive after three days, the grave spit him out and then word's going to spread. You see, I'll read this. It says, if God can save the wicked, beheading, brutal terrorists of Assyria through this unrepentant prophet, then he can save you through Christ on the cross. The sign of Jonah is this, believe this prophet who was dead for three days preaching escape from God's judgment because he absorbed God's wrath against you. Then he tells the Pharisees, you know, the people of Nineveh, they're gonna condemn you on the judgment day if you don't repent because they repented at less. Look at the sorry, the sorry sermon they repented at. Jonah just said, hey, 40 days y'all gonna die. And they're like, oh, we got to get right. And what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, you know what Nineveh is going to say to you on the last day? Y'all, you had Jesus preaching to you? Jesus, we just had Jonah. He came up in here and just saying, hey, everybody's going to die. We'll see you. And we, what was wrong with y'all? Y'all had Jesus and he raised from the dead? 
Y'all, there are so many parallels between Jesus and Jonah. We could do a three-sermon series just on that. But just think of just a couple of quick, Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jonah ran away from his enemies. Jonah only proclaimed destruction. Jesus ran to his enemies and proclaimed hope. You think with Jonah, this storm of God's judgment was satisfied when he went down into the water for three days and rose again. The storm of God's judgment was satisfied as Jesus went down into the grave for three days and then he raised again and symbolically, Jesus emerges from the grave and then preaches to our wicked city. You could go on and on and on. There's so much in there. But Jesus is expanding it even further between the parallels of Jesus and Jonah. He's saying to the Pharisees, basically, the gospel's for everybody. You know, God was merciful. You need to be merciful too. See, Jesus mentions Jonah on purpose. He's being provocative. Like he's trying to provoke him. You know what I'm saying? Where what he's saying is, when I raise from the dead, it's not just gonna be a resurrection. It's gonna be repentance for all of those other nations that y'all look down on. He's expanding it in in a huge way. And I think that's the the third layer as we pull apart the book of Jonah and start looking at it. It's not just Ninevites. It's not just Northern Kingdom. It's to the guys in the Pharisees' day where he's saying the gospel is for everybody. Um, The last point, um, the last message that I think as we pull apart, and there's probably a lot more, but I think this book doesn't just contain messages for Nineveh and for the Northern Kingdom and just New Testament believers and unbelievers as a whole. I think there's some practical further messages for us. Just some quick practical messages. Obviously, Christ is the message behind this book, the good news of Christ to all, mercy to all, the good news for everybody, the need for repentance, all of that applies to each one of us. But I think we can also just take some small, quick, practical lessons from the book of Jonah. I got, I got four real quick. The first one is this. Don't turn your lessons outward. What do I mean by that? Jonah should have preached repentance to himself. So often we point the finger at others when a good inward look is required. Second, quick practical thought. Don't lean on past obedience. Jonah may have been confident in his past obedience, like, I'm a prophet. I'm good. I'm an Israelite. I'm, I'm good. Yesterday's growth or ministry doesn't negate today's obedience. Third quick practical thought from Jonah is just be obedient in sharing the gospel because nobody's past saving. Nobody is past saving. You see, Jonah knew the law, and so he knew the Ninevites deserved destruction. Well, so did the Israelites, and so did Jonah, and so do we. But God had other plans for Nineveh. They weren't past saving. So I think we need to ask ourselves, when we think through this, uh, this lesson of being obedient and sharing the gospel, I think we need to ask ourselves, are we faithful to preach to those lost causes? If God can save Nineveh, he can save them. If God can save Paul, if God can save you and me, he can save anybody. Second question we need to ask about being obedient to share the gospel is, is there anybody we don't want God to save? We should pray that God will align our hearts with his. And then the fourth and last little quick practical thought I think from, from this portion of the book is if you're in a season where you're running from God personally, you need to repent. I need to repent. If, if I'm in a season of running from God, we need to turn to him because the reality is no accident you're in this room. 
He's pursuing you right now by showing you the book of Jonah. Just like he pursued Israel through this story too. This is mercy on you and me too that God's pursuing us even through this story. If you're in a season of running, man, he loves you. This is mercy. Thank God that he runs to us with his mercy. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for our church. Thank you for this opportunity to read through this book that's so complex and beautiful. I know we see ourselves in this book, mainly in the disobedient parts, and Lord, I pray that you would, that you do a work in our hearts, Lord, that if, if any of us are harboring, you know, harboring sin, running away from you, I pray that you, you would bring us back to you. If any of us are seeing other people as too far gone or, or we don't want them to be saved, Lord, if we're leaning on past obedience, if we're, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts. I pray that we would see the beauty of the gospel of you in the story of Jonah. And thank you for that grace. In your name we pray, amen.